There's a common belief in marketing that we need to change the attitudes of our consumers before their behaviours will change. But my guest today suggests it's a bit more nuanced than that. Phil Barden, author of the best-selling book Decoded and MD of Decode, a global consumer psychology agency, says that changing attitudes isn't necessary. Simply changing the behaviour of a consumer could ultimately change their attitudes in the long term. So perhaps marketers shouldn't create campaign ads that attempt to change my attitudes towards olives. Instead, they should change my behaviour, getting me to try it and then my attitude might change. To start with, Phil talks about the conventional marketing view and gives a great example of how changing attitudes won't always change behaviour. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. And again, this goes back to the sort of mental models and receive wisdom. I think, and I grew up with this um, model at Unilever, which it basically says that a person behaves in a certain way because they hold a certain attitude and as a marketer what you need is to create some form of intervention probably communication based that will force them to reappraise something change their attitude and as a direct result they will then change their behavior hopefully in in, trot off and buy your brand but there is a lot of evidence that whilst that is true to some extent it is not the only game in town and that in fact what happens is that uh, attitudes form after and as a result of behavior um, i saw some lovely statistics from um, from the us where they they had a five five a day campaign like we've had in the uk right it, five portions of fruit and vegetables a day. Um, and they ran a massive um, comms campaign in the early 90s. And they were hugely successful in changing attitudes. They, they quadrupled the percentage of the population who believed they should eat five a day. I think it was 8% in 1991 and 35% four years later in 1995. 
that that's amazing. I mean, that's really, you know, you might say that's a really successful campaign, but the proof of the pudding, of course, is, or rather, perhaps pudding's the wrong choice of expression here, but the proof is in the eating. So what did people do? Did they eat five a day? And when you look at behaviours over the same time period, there was absolutely no change. The same percentage complied in the in the first period of time as in the second period of time so you can change attitudes and not have any effect on behavior at all not only is changing people's attitudes really difficult sometimes changing attitudes won't even change their behavior in fact there's some pretty strong evidence which shows that attitudes don't dictate our behavior at all Princeton psychologists John Darley and Daniel Batson first assessed the personalities of 40 theology students, asking, what was your motivation to study? Was it personal salvation or was it a need to help others? Is it selfish or is it altruistic? The researchers then directed the theology students to deliver a sermon in a nearby church. Just as the students headed off to preach, half were told they were running late. The other half were told that they had plenty of time to reach the venue. Here's the next twist. The researchers had positioned en route to the church a man in need of help, claiming to have fallen. The researchers wanted to record which students stopped to help the suffering man. The results aren't what you might predict. By segmenting the participants into two distinct attitude groups, either selfish or altruistic, they found that attitudes had no noticeable effect on whether participants stopped to help the man. The biggest determinant was simply how much of a rush they were in. The seemingly small variation had a tremendous impact. Only 10% of those who were late stopped, compared to 63% of those who had plenty of time. Attitudes won't always define how consumers act, so marketers should think more about how to change behaviour. There's an example I give in the book from Professor Brian Vandink, who intervened in a uh, canteen in a in a college where the, the principal of the college was saying, listen, I want to try and get the students to eat more healthily. They're all e- eating pizza and burgers and fries. Um, and we've run a campaign on campus uh, like five a day. And, and, and people said, yes, I must eat my five a day or eat more healthily. But they're just not. So what Van Zink and his team did was was go in and change the physical layout of the canteen. And in doing so, they dramatically changed behaviours. So, for example, they moved the salad bar from uh, where it had been, which was against the wall, to just in front of the checkout. And that nearly tripled sales of salads. Uh, They put an opaque lid on the ice cream freezer and that significantly reduced ice cream sales and and comes back to what i was saying about perception out of sight is out of mind quite literally they they made the first item that that students encountered when they enter the canteen because right you come in you get your tray you're hungry so the first item of food that you perceive has a very high reward value for the brain and they changed that to broccoli and that increased broccoli sales by, I think, 10 to 15 percent. And of course, the, um, the other benefit that has is once you've got a chunk of broccoli on your plate, there's less room for other perhaps unhealthy items. 
Uh, even even putting things out of arms arms reach. So where they got like full fat chocolate milk within arms reach, they then moved it so that uh, students had to ask for it. Uh, and instead, what they put they put uh, mineral water and and low fat healthier uh, drinks within arms reach, and they um, they switched sales just because just because of that. So. There's a couple of examples of, of how you can change behaviours without changing minds necessarily. It's really important to understand that, that whenever we work with a client, we always start with what's your job to be done in terms of behaviour? What, what behaviour change are you trying to create? And then work on from that. And we have got examples of where, where a client has successfully changed behaviour and then done some attitudinal research. You find that the attitudes change after the fact so as a result of the behavior change not the other way around that's an incredible result the university originally ran a five a day campaign to increase healthy eating but behavior didn't change at all but just by reorganizing the canteen they dramatically changed behaviors this study was replicated in 2012 by google in their headquarters they wanted workers to eat healthier food at lunch, but found again that changing attitudes didn't quite work. So they made some simple changes to the layout of their canteen. They placed a salad bar at the entrance, increasing salad consumption by 20%. They placed sweets in opaque bins rather than clear dispensers, resulting in a 9% drop in calorie intake from sweets. And in the past, water was on tap and soda was in the fridge, but Google moved bottled water to eye level in the cooler whilst the soda was placed at the bottom. This increased water intake compared to soda by 47%. It's not just universities and large tech firms leveraging this insight. It's also being used by governments too. A lot of this has been used in the, in the work by the, the so-called nudge unit, which Cameron government set up. Now, now the... Um, behavioral insights unit and transported to many other governments around the world in fact and and used for for public policy so smoking cessation anti-obesity tax compliance things like that and what they found is that by making simple changes to language and the options that people are presented with which we call the the decision interface a sort of fancy term for for a form, if you like, can lead to differences in, in behaviour. So, for example, when you if you do your self-assessment tax return now, there is a statement at, right at the beginning where you have to tick the box. And the statement is about you being truthful and honest in your return. And that previously, you had to tick that box right at the end when you'd been through all the time and the effort of putting all your data in. You then had to say, okay, you know, to, to the best of my belief, this is this is true and accurate uh, disclosure of, of all the information or whatever the actual wording is. Now, I think they do it in both places, but they, what they found is that um, by putting it right up front, it just gets people in the mindset that, yeah, I, I need to give, you know, I can, this cannot be fictitious. I cannot falsify any records. Another example is is, is donor organ donation. And, and this is sort of quite a, a classic one where, where countries have changed from uh, what the default position is. So typically the default position is that you don't 
have to agree to donate any of your organs in the event of your death unless you opt into an organ donation scheme and carry a, a donor card with you or whatever and say you've discussed it with your family and blah 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 but where countries have changed the default position to being by default you will offer your organs for donation in the event of your death unless you opt out those countries have got far higher percentage of organ donations for context here the donor consent rates in opt-out countries like france hungary poland and portugal is 100 percent in the uk where it's opt-in it's just 17 percent 12 percent in germany and just four percent in denmark it would be almost impossible to achieve a hundred percent adoption rate by just changing attitudes but by changing the behavior from an opt-in to an automatic default opt-out, the donor consent rate changed overnight. Such a drastic, momentous decision to donate your organs can be dramatically shifted simply by changing the default. But the same effect can be noted in smaller decisions as well. Think about the last time you bought a pizza. Did you buy what you set out to buy? Or were you influenced by something last minute? I'm sure most of us assume that we only ever get what we want, but research suggests that our intentions can be swayed. When telling participants in a study to build their own pizza, researchers found that consumers put twice as many toppings on their pizza if they were asked to subtract from a fully loaded pizza rather than to add to an empty pizza. The same is true for luxury cars. People spend thousands more if they're asked to subtract features rather than to add. I'll hand back over to Phil, who explains the theory behind this principle. The theory is that the fact that brain, the brain hates thinking, the brain is a cognitive miser because thinking is effortful and it burns energy, it engages system two and, and it's, it's tiring and, and I've got to make some effort to sort of think about this stuff. So if the, if the default position, which system one favours, because it's like this is the literally no-brainer decision, um, that's the easiest thing to do. It's, it, we are, you know, we're biased to, to, the, to default to the status quo. So if the status quo is I'm opted in unless I choose to opt out, then I'm more likely to do nothing and just stay opted, opted in. Yeah, of course, you get into um, public policy and, and philosophical debates about whether uh, these sort of nudges, as they're called and have become popularly called, um, are for the public good. Um, you know, that's a that's a hot matter for, for government and to, to debate and, and decide. But it is possible to um, to evoke behaviours just by, by using changing decision interfaces. Loss aversion is another one, you know, saying saying to people, heating energy, you know, invest in in um, insulating your, your roofs and you could save £200 or if you don't, you will lose £200. That has a very different effect because people don't want to lose money. Um, that's, you know, this so-called loss aversion is, is kind of felt... The, the, the studies suggest that loss is felt roughly twice as much as, as gain is, is felt. So just by as, like reframing the, uh, the way that information is given can change, uh, change behaviour as well. That energy company example is so successful because we're adverse to losses. 
To showcase this, researcher DiMartino gave participants $50. He asked the participants to choose between one of two options. Keep the $30 or gamble with a 50-50 chance of keeping or losing the whole $50. The results showed that the majority of participants acted in a risk-adverse way, with only 43% of them deciding to gamble. Then the researchers changed the secure option. Now they asked participants to choose between losing $20 or gambling with a 50-50 chance of keeping or losing the whole $50. So what they're trying to figure out is what happens when one of the options is framed as a loss. Interestingly, the number of participants who decided to gamble went up to 61%. The difference between those two scenarios is statistically significant, despite the fact that both options are really the same, losing $20 or keeping $30. I'll finish by handing back to Phil for one final insight into the world of advertising, specifically around creating mental availability. It's interesting when you look at advertising these days, it differs, of course, by category, but I can see a lot, some some sort of genres of advertising in, in certain categories, which are trying to just create mental availability. You know, it's a very busy category. And when someone is in the in the context of making a decision for that category, then the winner is the one who will come to mind first. So a lot of, a lot of uh, I'm thinking price comparison, you know, whether you are, go compare and, and that tune pops into your head or compare the market and the meerkat pops into your head or whatever, then that, that's a, quite an interesting interesting role for advertising because you know I've got four or five competitors who basically do an identical job to me. So how do I how do I become that number one? Because no revenue goes to the brand that is second to mine, of course. And so becoming first of mind is in, is important with it within that market also just talking about behavior changes an interesting move recently and i'd like to explore this with them money supermarket uh, change campaign dramatically from having one that was all about feeling epic with uh, he-man skeletor and action man um, and then they changed agency and changed com strategy and now it's all about feeling all about mental relief and relaxation and those are psychologically opposite feeling epic is is in a field that we would call autonomy which is about feeling powerful and superior to others having done your best made the best choice and feeling pretty smart and smug about it whereas the mental relief and relaxation sits in a very different field which we call enjoyment which is about that relief from the pressure you know, I, I've made the right choice, but now I can relax. So that's a different feeling to feeling epic. Mental availability is something Byron Sharp, author of How Brands Grow, has studied intensely. Importantly, he claims that mental availability is not brand awareness. Brand awareness is measured by a cue, usually a category. For example, asking participants to think of serial brands. But mental awareness is beyond that. It's the ability for a buyer to notice, recognize, and think of a brand in many different buying situations. For more on that, check out Byron's blog post titled Mental Availability is Not Awareness. Marketers have been relentlessly told to change the attitudes of their consumers. 
to shift consumers' views by altering their long-held beliefs towards olives, smartphones, or whatever it is we want to sell. While it might have an effect, it's not the only way to change consumer behaviour. Consumers can have strong attitudes but exhibit very different behaviours, whether that's to do with choosing what to add on your pizza or whether deciding whether or not to donate their organs. As marketers, we should realise that changing attitudes isn't always the end goal. That's all I have time for today. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Phil Barden. Phil's book, Decoded, is the source material behind most of the studies and insights shared today, so please do check it out. The link to the Amazon page for the book is in the show notes below. Down there you'll also find a link to our mailing list. Sign up to that and I'll send you an email every time a new episode goes live. And if you've got a spare two minutes, please do help me out by leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a huge difference. Cheers, and thank you for listening to this episode of Nudge.